0: I cannot swear to you that there is swearing on this show, but there might be. It's the kind of behavior I engage in. It's Wednesday, November 27th, 2019 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. It's a time to be thankful. It's a time to be at peace. It's a time to run in horror as a giant latex monstrosity wreaks havoc in Gotham. Frightening moments during today's Thanksgiving Day Parade. That happened at the Thanksgiving parade in 1997. This year's parade is expected to be quite gusty and therefore damn dangerous. Several parades have seen out-of-control frogs, floating feline infernos, and in 1985, not just a loss of Superman's arm to puncture wounds, but a loss of innocence itself.
1: The man of steel himself, the slightly injured, super- all right, so it's not steel, okay, it's uh, he's a pretty strong guy.
0: Then, in 1993, Rex the Dinosaur sprang a leak after crashing into a light pole.
2: And later, a gust of wind blew Sonic the Hedgehog into another light pole. That guy sprung a leak and fell to the street, knocked over a lamppost. A child and a police officer were hit, slightly injured, but they're okay tonight
0: takes us to 2005 when an M&M struck.
1: It hit that light post.
0: Somebody got hit. This video shot by a spectator is now something the city plans to examine to find out why a rope from the 500 pound M&M balloon got caught on a lamppost. I have an idea why. It's because a 500 pound balloon was being steered down a narrow city street clearly not designed for balloons. I like the parade just as much as anyone else, but I also acknowledge that every five to ten years, a balloon goes out of control, wrecks some infrastructure, and hurts somebody. If our cars, subways, or crosswalks had this level of unsafety, we would shut them down, wouldn't we? But, you know, we got a tradition and also a big corporate sponsor, and it really is kind of goofy seeing Mickey or Minnie or Goofy acting like they're some slow-motion, weightless Godzilla Maybe we invite the destruction upon us as a sort of atonement. Plus, when the cat attacks, even though a woman was really seriously injured, it is still tempting not to think, uh, susically. The giant cat-in-the-hat balloon had only traveled a couple of blocks. But it caused a great kaboom and led to aftershocks. A statement released by Macy said, Perhaps you'd be better off inside instead. Well, here's hoping my city's annual scoffing at nature has less calamitous results this year, which is really what the Thanksgiving parade is all about. On the show today, I spiel about one aspect of impeachment that is sure to embarrass Republicans in short order. Oh, wait, they're unembarrassable. But first, over the river and through the wood to grandmother's house you go. But what about Frumples, your Tibetan terrier, or Benedict, your greyhound, or even... Little Yodel, your Fox Terrier, what are they to do? Well, how about some dog TV? The premium television service promises not just to be a distraction for your dog, but to provide peace of mind for your pet when you're away. Is that possible? Or is that bullshit? Maria Kanakova is here to help us find out. was, the big question, the burning question of our age was, how much is that doggy in the window? But now the question is, why is that doggy looking out the window and not maximizing his or her free time, quality time, by looking at a television? As you know, dogs love to watch other dogs on television. Do they? I know we love to point out to the dog that there's another dog on television. George Carlin had a great bit about this. Look at the dog! Look at the but do dogs really watch TV? Dog TV certainly hopes so. Dog TV is a quote premium. Cable channel, just like, I guess, kennel rations is premium dog food. Have you ever seen a dog food that's not premium dog food? Anyway, I'm going down a rabbit hole like a terrier chasing its own tail or a rabbit. Dog TV is a premium cable television network. The first television network made specifically for dogs. It raises a number of interesting questions like how does a dog sign up? Does a dog have to give his credit card? When it says it's made for dogs, I think they need a a human helper to at least pay the bills. Joining me now to discuss Dog TV And the other animal-related excrement question that attends to it is Maria Konnikova. Maria is the author of The Biggest Bluff, and she is here to play dog TV or the entire idea of your pets watching TV and getting something out of it, maybe comfort, maybe ideas about how to escape, to play the game. Is that bullshit with dog TV? Maria is here. Hello, Maria. Thank you for coming on. Woof, woof. All right. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I don't know where I got this, but... (laughs) People definitely, some people like to leave the TV on for dogs, but, you know, you got to wonder, like, what if they get bad ideas? What if it's, you know, an (laughs) old episode of Rin Tin Tin and they can't live up to those ideals and feel sorry? What if it's...
2: What if it's Old Yeller?
0: What if it's Old Yeller? What if it's even Quincy? You know, you never know what's going to set a dog off and it it could be uh, Jack Klugman. So dog tv (laughs) markets itself as uh, a tv network for dogs and like the question i would have is do dogs really watch tv luckily and they're frequently asked questions that's question one how do they answer and are they right
2: yeah so (laughs) i had no idea what dog tv was until you brought it to my attention so they say um so this is from from their own marketing material Mm -hmm. that it's scientifically developed scientifically yes wow yes big Um, claim and an adverb and that yes that it's Through three years of research
0: Mm. with
2: some of the world's top pet experts. Actually, one of them is listed as their scientific advisor, Mm -hmm. Nicholas Dodman from Tufts, but he's D O G M A N? Yes, not D-O-G. D-O-D. <laughs> okay, fine. Dodman. <laughs> Damn. But Dogman would have been pretty great. So he's a professor emer- emeritus <laughs> at, at Three Tufts. golden
0: retrievers in <laughs> a trench coat, yeah.
2: <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's probably why he's professor emeritus, yeah. because finally someone cut on. Um, but he specialized, he was a veterinarian who was specializing in pet anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so what they say is that They've created special content that will meet specific attributes of a dog's sense of vision and hearing Mm. and supports their natural behavior patterns, which I guess means that naturally dogs like sitting on the couch and uh, watching TV. That's a behavior pattern. and the result or maybe there's a
0: licking its yourself hour <laughs> yes. after midnight. I don't know. Maybe.
2: And the result is gonna be a confident, happy dog who's less yeah. likely to develop stress, separation, anxiety, or other related problems. Mm-hmm. So this is the promise of dog TV. Because before I even got into the research, I wanted to know what in the world was it promising, you know? Right. Maybe it just says like, you know, when you're gone and you wanna do something yeah. to feel like you're not just leaving your dog here's a channel to turn on the tv well i mean and, they could do it. but this a, goes a little yeah maybe that. it'll
0: start it'll distract him so he doesn't tear up the sofa if yes, that's exactly. it i'm sure people exactly.
2: would exactly and they even have 3 modules so mm-hmm. you get to turn on a specific module Sporting,
0: toy <laughs> working
2: not quite. <laughs> Relaxation. Uh-huh. And that one says that it's going to prevent anxiety. So mm-hmm. it's going to have calming sounds. Mm. Um, stimulation, oh. because that's what you want when you're gone. That's just a nonstop um, loop so of squirrels, right? Yes, it's other dog and animal sounds. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> so it says that it's meant to prevent boredom. Yeah. It's meant to be playful. Uh-huh. And it's meant to provide mental and physical stimulation. I'm uh-huh. not quite sure what they mean by physical stimulation <laughs> while watching Talk TV. TV but around. but yes, presumably. Um, and then the third module is exposure. And the exposure module is for things that dogs are typically scared of and don't like. Oh! So they have a channel Challenging of, their phobia. Exactly. Of vacuum cleaner noises. Okay. Cars. Wow, this seems like outdoor, torture. Exactly. But is it like outdoor mixed noises? In? Have you watched it? Is no, it mixed I haven't. In I can't the... watch it. You have to pay for it. You're, you
0: because you're not a dog. Yeah, I'm not oh. a dog.
2: Well, you, you can do a 14-day free trial. I uh-huh. did not sub- subscribe. Is it on
0: our cable systems? Is it out um, there? <laughs> it's a digital
2: TV channel okay. that's on 24-7, uh-huh. yeah, and you uh-huh. can subscribe. Right. So you have this one module that Basically freaks your dog the hell out. So that those are their three modes.
0: Mm. The word "scientifically" was (laughs) strewn about, thrown about. How scientific is this?
2: Well. To sum it up in two words, not very.
0: Not very. <laughs> now it seems no. to me that you can uh, dogs hear dog whistles, so you could put sounds so, over your TV that yeah. respond to. So, so f- and in fact, that might have an effect, or it might just trick a dog, or trick a dog owner, and say, "Oh, look, he's responding."
2: Yeah. So, so here's what we know about just dogs in general. First of all, we don't know if watching TV is good or bad for dogs. Would you park, you know, is is it a great thing to park your kid in front of a TV right. for, you know, for the entire day? Right. We don't even know if this is a thing we should be aspiring to. Maybe it's actually better for the dog to look out the window uh. than it is to look at a television screen. Yeah. Okay. So that's, and that has not been studied. It's very difficult to study. <laughs> mm-hmm. But we know that other things like music, for instance, can both calm a dog and agitate a dog. It depends on the dog. It depends on the music. It depends on lots of different things.
0: Oh, um, that could be a new service for Pandora, like Mac. <laughs> Matching yeah. the music to your particular dog.
2: I think we have a business. The Canine
0: Genome Project. I think
2: we have a business. <laughs> now, we do know a lot about canine senses. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that their vision is not the same as that of humans. Right. Um, so they see color differently. They see motion differently. Um, and so They sometimes see male men differently. They see male men differently. And so sometimes when people say, oh, you know, they love to say my dog loves to watch TV with me or something. Uh-huh. What we know about dogs is dogs are really empathic when it comes to their owners, and they do what little kids do, which is they follow your gaze. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at something a dog will often look at the same thing because it wants to share with you. Right. It wants to see what you're looking at. Right. So yeah, the dog might be watching you and seeing that you're engaged with something on TV and then it looks at the TV, but it's not actually really watching TV. It's really interacting with you. So if you leave the dog by itself, will it really care about the TV? So these are these are kind yes. of all the questions. Now this seems now, like you could study it. You put yes, uh, a nanny your room. Okay. Yes, <laughs> someone has. We've got a study on this coming up. Good, good. But first let's finish the the other senses yes. of the dog. Um, but the uh, hearing of the dog is actually much better than human hearing. They can hear pitches that we can't hear, um, so that seems potentially promising. Yeah. But the single strongest sense that a dog has is smell. Yes, and unless you go aromavision no, or scratch and sniff, there are no smells that come from your TV, and that is the number one way that dogs engage with the world. We have about five million olfactory receptors. They have about two hundred and twenty million. So for them, this is kind of the richest source of data. You know, that's why they are smelling each other's asses all the time. And yeah. So dog TV wasn't actually the first. So there was this guy, Benjamin Reznor, who in 2001 did a whole study um, to see if, you know, basically how can owners make their dogs feel better when the owners are at work Uh and so he launched this thing called rover at home (laughs) 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 which i thought was kind of cute um that tried to let owners interact with their dogs so he had cams with owners um and dogs and tried to teach dogs to click um and that didn't work um particularly well but you could actually you can kind of see the the intention there right because you're actually interacting with your owner while you're at home. The
0: difference is this and guy then, was actually trying something other than fooling yes. guilty dog owners yes. and taking their money. Yes. Yes.
2: but That in, was
0: his mistake.
2: Um, because what he said, <laughs> his quote is, dogs are not furry humans. Mm. Um that which, dog which owners actually, don't want to think that, which is actually a pretty smart quote. Yeah. Um. And then t- in 2012, dog TV came along, and then some researchers started thinking, "Huh? Like, is this actually a thing?" Um. So I found one study that actually looked specifically at dog TV. Oh, cool. Um. From 2016. Yeah. It was done by researchers at the University of Central Lancashire, which is in the UK.
0: Sure.
2: Um. And they only did it with two dogs, unfortunately, because it's hard to, to do these studies with.
0: Packs, yeah, roving yeah, with packs roving of packs beasts. of dogs
2: so they were both black labs uh-huh. one was 39 months old and one was 11 months old okay the older one is dog a for for our purposes dog and a. the younger one is dog b yeah. let's give them names i mean like it would step <laughs> on the science the paper, to throughout, call throughout the paper they're called dog snuggles? a and dog b yeah. <laughs> but but i feel like we need to name them
0: okay misty and snuggles
2: okay Is Misty Dog A?
0: Yeah, but Dog A is going to be Misty.
2: Okay, excellent. Misty and Snuggles. All right. So Misty and Snuggles are one at a time, um, put in a room, Mm -hmm. and the room has three different screens because we know that, you know, dog vision and human vision, we sometimes attend to things in different parts of our vision differently, Mm -hmm. so they wanted to see whether position mattered. Um, They did simultaneous clips that actually ran on all three screens so that they could test clips against each other. There were 12 clips in total. Eight of these clips were of other dogs, and those were taken from Dog TV. Um, two of the clips were of other animals, non-dogs. Those were also from Dog TV. And two of the clips were of humans, and those were taken from Coronation Street. Oh, I don't know TV what show. I don't know what Coronation Street is. I think it's
0: like one of those long-running British okay. soap operas.
2: All right, sounds good. So basically you had all sorts of different configurations where you had different clips and you could study how the dogs were looking because they had cameras basically on every screen that would look at the dog so that you could look at the dog gaze. And the clips were 20 seconds in length in general. And then they would have every screen after it showed a clip would have a 30 second break. Okay. And the room also because, you know, people, you can't, I think it would be a little cruel to just have a dog in a room by itself with three tv screens and they seem to agree so both misty and snuggles also had a corner um where there was food there were drinks there were some toys yeah. and there was a human observer oh, okay. so that they so there actually was a human in the room the whole right. time which is i think kind of important and this was the setup of the study and the idea was let's see whether they choose to engage with the TV. If so, what kinds of clips they like. And if not, you know, what are they doing? And it turns out that you need more than two dogs.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's what I thought it was going to turn
2: out the whole time. (laughs) Because because Misty and Snuggles were totally different. So while Misty was able... There was one clip um, of a dog in a field that Misty really liked and was able to watch 18 seconds of it. Snuggles had problems watching anything and basically they had three hundred and forty seconds in total of material while they were in the in the room. Yeah. And while Misty looked at Two hundred and twelve of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Snuggles only looked at ninety six.
0: Yeah, so Snuggles which is like random. Yeah, almost. so yeah.
2: Snuggles didn't really care about what was going on. Snuggles and is the eleventh
0: month old. Yeah, maybe that's part of it,
2: and that's what they said. Yeah. But there was this one quote from this study which broke my heart, and I'm going to substitute because this quote has Dog A and Dog B. Okay, I'm going to yes. substitute Misty and Snuggles. Good. Unlike Misty who would physically as well as visually settle and watch media, Snuggles would pace, frequently approach the human, roll on his back, and use other gestures to indicate that he wanted to play. Aww. <laughs> he didn't want dog TV. No, he didn't want dog TV at all. No. He wanted to interact with yeah. the human who was in the room. And so the authors conclude that, like, sure, it seems like they sometimes look at the dogs, but it doesn't seem like they particularly want to, or like they care, and... They might want to do other things like potentially play more. But this was only two dogs. Right. right. Um, I was surprised that there was a paper on dog TV. Um, (laughs) Not under dog TV. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. But it looks like in general, sure, sometimes they will look, but it's also really difficult to figure out, are they enjoying it? Is it good for them? What's going on? And there's not that much data out there. So I actually um, reached out to my dog guru, um, Alexander Horowitz, who you've had. Who I, we've had on the who show? I was
0: hanging out with on Tuesday.
2: Yeah, she said hi. <laughs>
0: <laughs> She's the best.
2: So I figured, you know, why why not go to the woman who's actually spent decades, you know, researching dogs yes. and knows a lot about all of their different kind of everything. Um, so she actually started thinking about TV a while ago. Basically, her point is that um, digital TV, which is what um, dog TV is, solves a lot of her issues with the vision part of it, which is that they have a f- higher flicker fusion rate than humans. Well, that's in the frequently so, asked
0: questions. I heard do- I heard yes. dogs view television picture as flickering. Is that true? And they say they do something about the flicker. Right. So,
2: so she said that digital TV broadcasts can eliminate uh, the problem, making TV more viable. Yeah. But her point is that it's still um, not interesting from an olfactory point of view. And so that probably means that dogs are pretty ambivalent about it because anything that doesn't have that sort of sensory um, immediacy to them just isn't as interesting. And so I'm going to just quote what she said to me from our conversation yesterday. She said, sure, they can see it. Dog TV, that is. But the first question is, do they care about it? Dogs live in an olfactory universe. We look for things to see. They look for things to smell. And thank goodness there is no smell TV.
0: So... Dog TV is interesting to dogs. Is that bullshit? Please give your answer, first in human and then in schnauzer.
2: All right. Um, So we think it's kind of bullshit. There's not that much data on it, but the data we do have would suggest that dogs are engaged more by other things than they are by television. I have not been able to find all the scientifically proven claims. Um, And now for, for the schnauzer, woof, 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 woof a buff woof
0: oh yeah, that's like a German you got a <laughs> yeah, little German I, there. Got, I, got I a thought little... you'd
2: go a little let's uh, woof
0: but that would be of no, course Scooby-Doo a Great Dane yes, yes. I, was,
2: I was trying to go German yeah, woof that was woof. Very good.
0: woof yeah the Germans are more uh, assiduous <laughs> about their scientific claims Maria Konnikova is the author of The Biggest Bluff she comes on from time to time to play Is That Bullshit with us and if she can explode the giant myth that was dog TV she's doing your job thank you so much Maria thank you Mike And now the spiel. There is a thing I'm thankful for. It's that I'm not an idiot. And you're not an idiot. I know this from your taste in podcasts. Also, Lieutenant Colonel Vinman's not an idiot. And Fiona Hill wasn't an idiot. And Ambassador Taylor and State Department official George Kent. All not idiots. Also not an idiot, Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky. This is fundamental in our understanding of who might be an idiot. Because there is... One Republican talking point, I would like to explode with a javelin missile of insight that shall not be withheld. So all through the impeachment hearing and in many media appearances afterwards, the defenders of Donald Trump have hit on a number of points that are misleading, nonsensical, in bad faith, etc. But there's one in particular, and they have exposed themselves to future embarrassment. Now, it's not that they're idiots. I do not think Jim Jordan is technically an idiot. Devin Nunes also agrees that Jim Jordan's probably not an idiot. But the point that will leave him exposed and embarrassed in short order is this. They are always explaining that Ukraine President Zelensky wasn't pressured because Ukraine President Zelensky denies being pressured. Here is Jim Jordan making the case during the hearings.
1: President Trump and President Zelensky have both said on the call there was no linkage, there was no pressure, there was no pushing.
0: No pressure, no pushing says the president of a country who is desperate for U.S. aid, who perhaps doesn't want to screw up the aid he's getting. Let us hear Republican Representative Chris Stewart in his questioning
1: of Gordon Sonland. So Mr. Ambassador, I'm going to read you a couple quotes from President Zelensky and then ask you a question. First, from a Ukrainian press release, Donald Trump is convinced that the new Ukrainian government will be able to quickly improve the image of Ukraine, complete investigation of corruption which inhibited the interaction with Ukraine and the USA. Does that sound like President Zelensky is being bribed or extorted in that comment?
0: Yes. Does it sound like a press release from Ukraine thanking the U.S. for missiles, which allow it to finally fight back against a faded superpower who has already taken part of the Ukraine's territory? Does it sound like that press release... Also included an intimation of extortion? I mean, there was no hint of extortion in that press release thanking us for the missiles. If it did, it would literally be the worst press release ever. It's almost like asking, well, what about, sir, that tweet that said, everyone express thanks opposing Russian tanks. Does that seem like it's hinting at extortion? Well, you know, if you read straight down the side, it does spell out extort. But really, really, what does this mean? Back to Chris Stewart, describing Zelensky's denial of being pressured as some major exculpatory fact.
1: He makes it very clear in his own words, then. Ukrainian President Zelensky told reporters during a joint press conference with Donald Trump that he was not pressured by the U.S. president. Again, I was not pressured. He used another time, there was no blackmail. I would ask you, do you think he felt like he was being extorted by the president based on these comments?
0: Because, you know, victims of blackmail... You know, you know how this works, right? They have to say, if asked, well, are you being blackmailed? They have to say, you got me. It's the blackmailer's code. It's like how a vampire can't enter a house without being invited. Once you ask a blackmailed victim, hey, you're being blackmailed? The only thing he can do is throw a pinch of salt over his left shoulder, wrap his head in a sock that's been soaking in onion juice, and run around in a circle three times yelling, Hassan Pfeffer, Hassan Pfeffer, hurdy-gurdy, babaloo. And if you don't do that, you got to say, yeah, I'm being blackmailed. Everyone knows that. Did President Zelensky do that? He did not. Well, then he wasn't being blackmailed. Now, look, here's what I would like to ask Jim Jordan. Representative Jordan, in some time, maybe 14 months, maybe longer, Donald Trump will no longer be president. All right? Perhaps... Even a Democrat who's hostile to Donald Trump's foreign policy will be president. And at that time, it is quite possible that President Zelensky might be asked again, by the way, did you really feel no pressure? And at that time, should Zelensky say, of course, I felt pressure, but I needed the missiles? What will your reaction be then, Representative Jordan? Will you say, whoops, I was wrong? Will you say, there was no way we could have known that then? Will you perhaps try to discredit future President Zelensky? Of course he's saying that now, because he has to say it to get the aid. Hmm, let me think about that one. What will you say, should it, and I think it will come to pass, that one day Zelensky says, I had to say it? Because Jim Jordan doesn't just put this out as a fact in his favor. He puts it out as an unchangeable, immutable fact. He's given a lot of credence to this quote unquote fact. Here on Fox, where Jordan wasn't asked the question I would have liked for him to have been asked, he listed four unchanging facts. Four facts will never change, Dan. I don't care
1: how many witnesses they bring in. They can have eight hearings this week, the the two big hearings with our three witnesses last week. The facts have never changed. We've got the transcript. There was no linkage of an investigation to security assistance money. We got the two guys on the call. President Trump and President Zelensky, Them who himself, both said mm-hmm. there was there was no pressure, no pushing. We have the fact that Ukraine didn't know that the aid was held at the time of the call. And most importantly, President Zelensky didn't announce, didn't start, didn't promise he
0: was going to start mm-hmm. any investigation to get the aid released. I've been focused on fact, too, by the way, no pressure. But I would like to take a little sideline to point out that supposed fact three has also been called into question. Laura Cooper, deputy assistant defense secretary for Ukraine, testified before Congress that, if not the moment of the call, the day of the call, Ukraine started feeling troubled.
2: I would say that specifically the Ukrainian embassy staff asked what is going on with Ukrainian security assistance.
0: Which committee chair Adam Schiff used to draw what I would say is a pretty reasonable inference.
1: And did that uh, connote to you that they were concerned that something was, in fact, going on with it?
0: Yes, sir. Okay, so that fact, that will never change, that one, that's shifting a little bit, and I've got to think that the idea that Zelensky wasn't pressured also will one day change, which really opens up Jim Jordan to some tough questions. And
1: the four facts that I talked about earlier have Mm -hmm. never changed, will
0: never change. Oh, they might. They just might. But I know what won't change. Your mind, your insistence, and acknowledgement of what is a fact and what is a smokescreen. So, yes, to bring it back to the day at hand, I am thankful not to be an idiot. I can recognize when I'm being misled. If nothing else, I hope the gist has served as a kind of audio hearth where we can all gather around and look one another in the eye or listen to one another in the ear and say, I'm no idiot. You're no idiot. Let us, the non-idiots, be secure and confident in our non-idiocy. Non-idiocy, that's what we have. And that's a fact which can never and will never change. No, really. That's just a regular type of normal fact that non-idiocy is better than idiocy. And if that fact is acknowledged, it gives us strength in times of rampant idiocy throughout the land. And that's it for today's show. Daniel Schrader produces The Gist. He once escaped his 40 handlers and floated aimlessly across the Hudson. Christina DeJosa also produced all the shows this week. She was punctured by the roof of a halal cart on 73rd Street, scattering falafel, shawarma, and hot sauce red sauce everywhere. The Gist. I think there should be an intentional deflationary parade for the evening of Thanksgiving when everyone unbuckles and exhales. (sighs) You have famous deflated icons sponsored by the Viagra Thanksgiving Night Parade. The following deflated balloons are featured. Footsie, the New England Patriot football. Rutherford B. Hayes, who oversaw economic deflation during his two non-consecutive terms. Expectations for another Matrix sequel, also deflated. I'll see you guys Monday. Zerdawan's thugs say when beating lawful protesters in the United States, happy Turkey Day. Oomperoo depperoo depperoo. Oh, speaking of turkeys, and thanks for listening.